You want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3. We'll read from that in just a moment. But it's good to see everyone out again. We still do have many out there sick. and want to constantly keep them in our prayers and remember them. Uh, and make sure that during this season of travel that we are also keeping those that will be uh, traveling quite a bit in our prayers. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 in verse 16. This is one of the probably most read or uh, uh, read or, or spoken verses that we read uh, just in the Bible class and during sermons that uh, you hear here. But in verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so from verses 16 through 17, it's just... I think it's just cram-packed with all kinds of things. But what I like is this progression, that we have the Word of Christ dwelling richly within us. And in verse 17, the very foundation of our lives, the very foundation of our existence, and the foundation of what we can say uh, we, we are, are supposed to do to please God. That whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, by His authority. This is what we all in this room would say we adhere to. Now, when it comes to all kinds of topics, I think from time to time we can sometimes get into discussions where uh, maybe be, because of the, uh, the heated nature of the topic or just because there's a lot of debate uh, back and forth between different people, uh, sometimes I think we automatically put things in like a Romans 14 category just because, well, we can't really, we just can't really know. And what I want to talk about tonight is one of those things that I'm, I'm worried about uh, people saying today, Christians rather, saying today that we just really can't know for sure. Uh, and that is the topic of the Christian and alcohol. Unfortunately, I've heard too many sermons preached about alcohol that, that spends the whole time condemning it just at the end to say, but the Bible never says not to. Remember what we just looked at in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. This is what we do. We do not come to the Bible unfairly, dishonestly saying, well, the Bible doesn't say not to. We are coming with an understanding of we do what God has authorized. We do what God wants us to do and wills for us to do. And now, I, I say all that to say that I think that um, with all the conversations that are had from time to time, it can get very confusing. But I want to make very clear, and I want to let you know, just right from the outset, what I am planning to talk about, that the Bible very clearly condemns recreational drinking of alcohol as a sin. Now, I will just say, uh, somebody asked me to do this, uh, to preach about this, um, not recently, but a few months ago, and every now and then they would kind of, <laughs> they would kind of say, hey, you got that sermon ready? And I, it's just something that I just constantly found more and more information on that I thought was really interesting. And I finally gotten to a point where I feel like, you know, I've cut enough out and I'm, uh, I feel like I'm ready to go through just a few ideas uh, on this topic. But I do just want to make clear, uh, first of all, that I apologize for taking so long. But I do also want to make clear that I don't want to spend the whole time going through a lot of negative points about alcohol and social drinking, moderate drinking. That's what I mean by recreational drinking. Drinking alcohol in a social environment in a moderate way and, and obviously stemming all the way to drunkenness. Um, and so across the board, I think it is, uh, there, there, there is a very unscriptural usage 
of, of drinking alcohol in our current culture and even with some Christians. And so I want to try to talk about this and make the biblical case, the scriptural case about why this would be uh, uh, something that God has not authorized and therefore something that God says is sinful for the Christian. There's just there's so much to talk about um, and I would say to discuss, but we're just going to focus on a few main things that I think we can very confidently say about alcohol being condemned by scriptures. And first of all, let me just ask, does anyone in this room think that it is okay for Christians to do drugs? And seriously, if you want to raise your hand, you can. I don't think anybody would be brave enough. But still, do you think that a Christian should do drugs? Now, this is kind of a leading question because one of the main points that I want to make tonight is that alcohol is, I would say, a drug. It's in a different form. It's, it's a liquid form that we consume, but it's a drug nonetheless. And I'm going to show that through a, a few different means. First of all, when you just look up the definition of a drug on Google, uh, the Google, Google English Dictionary says that in a noun form, it is a medicine or other substance which has a physiological effect when ingested or otherwise introduced into the body. When it's used as a verm, it says to administer a drug to someone in order to induce, note this, a stupor or insensibility. And so just from the outset, I think that we can very clearly say that alcohol has this very literal effect. It has a physiological effect on, on everyone who consumes it. It is ingested or somehow introduced into the body. And, and, and even it, when you look at that verb form, it is, has a very specific effect. And so from the very outset, when you look at what a drug is, just, just on Google, this is, this is the world's de defining. Uh, I think that very quickly we can say that fairly that alcohol is, is along those lines. But we're not going to stop there. I think alcohol, uh, as we've already indicated, has the exact same effect in nature. There was a, a few articles that I was reading, and there was one article from the Orlando Recovery uh, website, OrlandoRecovery.com. Uh, it was an article that was called, Is Alcohol a Drug? And look at what they had to say. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, a drug is any substance that can change how a person's body and mind work. Before we even read on, that is alcohol. Alcohol fits this description, altering your mind and body's function because alcohol creates chemical changes that disrupt your body's normal functioning. It is technically considered a drug. Now, it, it, you know, I know I'm quoting someone who's quoting someone else, but look at who they're quoting, the CDC. Uh, and so when they define what a drug is, just, just when, we, when you think about the effects alcohol has, it obviously automatically fits that description. And I would just continue by saying, look at how many um, sources from the world talk about alcohol and its effects. I, I wish we could get into all kinds of st statistics. I wish we could get into you know, the chart that they have given <clears throat> to say whether or not you're uh, uh, illegally driving after you get to a certain point of intoxication. We don't have enough time to do all that, but it is a very interesting study. But when you just look at how alcohol is discussed uh, just in the world, and we're not even in the scriptures yet, um, this, this is not necessarily looking at a drug or alcohol yet, but when you look up the, uh, what a DUI means, uh, the dictionary uh, Cambridge.org says a DUI is an abbreviation for driving under the influence, the crime of operating a motor vehicle while being affected by alcohol or other drugs. Just understand by their wording, they are calling alcohol a drug. I think the reason that it's specified is because it seems to have a much more pervasive and ubiquitous effect on the population at large, probably because it's, it's much more accessible and it's much more legal than most other drugs. 
But it, again, alcohol is like other drugs. It's saying that there's a commonality there. When you look at our, our own government, the transportation.kentucky.gov, this is what they have to say about DUI. It's an abbreviation for driving under the influence of alcohol or any substance that impairs driving. Once again, they're, they're really combining the two. Now, you, you may still not like that. I think that there's been, I think that we've already indicated there are several places just in the world that say that alcohol has the same kind of effect. But another article that speaks of alcohol uh, having the same nature and consequences and danger as other drugs, it's titled uh, similarly to the last article that we quoted, is alcohol a drug? But this was alcoholrehabguide.org. And this said, yes, alcohol is a drug. Specifically, alcohol is a psychotropic central nervous system depressant. Being a psych psychotropic drug means alcohol has an impact on cognition, emotions, and perception. Whoops, drop the clicker there. Oh, and I almost broke it. All right, there we go. And perception. Alcohol shares this designation with many other well-known drugs such as marijuana, cocaine, and LSD. We're going to come back to that, but just note that. Being a CNS depressant means that alcohol slows the activity of the brain. It also shares this trait with many other drugs such as Ambien, Xanax, and Valium. And once again, note that they're saying many other drugs, other well-known drugs. They're saying that it is truly the same kind of, of, of substance that when it's abused, it should be viewed as a substance abuse, just like we would say with other drugs. And so all of this being said, alcohol should be treated in the exact same way as a drug. And when we look at drugs, when we talk about drugs, <clears throat> we all start the conversation from the very beginning. Christians shouldn't do drugs. It's sinful. We're supposed to be sober. We're not supposed to let that kind of thing affect us. We're not supposed to take that kind of thing in. I think we all start from that from that concept when you, when you start talking about drugs. Incidentally, I think it's interesting that when you look at a lot of denominational preachers, what they always say is when they're asked, is marijuana a sin? Almost universally, they say, absolutely, it's a sin. But then when they come to alcohol, they say, oh, but that's, that's a judgment call. And I don't think that we can truly make, we can't really say that it's that much different. We can't say it's separate because it has the same danger, has the same effect, and in fact, it seems to take more lives and it seems to do uh, even more damage than most other drugs that are in the population uh, writ large. And so, when, uh, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, I want to note this passage here. 1 Timothy chapter 5. <clears throat> when you think about drugs and if the Christian can take a drug or not, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23, it says, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. I, I, you don't even have to explain this very much. It's very clear. Timothy had some health issues, and so Paul had to tell him, Take a little wine for the stomach's sake. Take this so that way it will help you. There's a few things that I want to mention. And we could look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 34. It's on the screen for you if you want to write that down in notes. We're not going to go there right now. I just want to focus on 1 Timothy 5 for just a moment. I think drugs have a place. Medicine has a place in a Christian's life. We are not condemned for taking Tylenol. We're not condemned for taking things for medicinal purposes. But I think it should be the same as alcohol. Same with alcohol, rather. That from the scriptures, yes, alcohol is okay to use, but for one purpose medicinally. That's the purpose that we're given. That's the perfect purpose that's given to Timothy from Paul. And when drugs are abused in a recreational setting, that is sinful. I think we all agree with that. And guess what? I think it's the same with alcohol. And I would just add, um, 
why did Paul have to convince Timothy that it was permissible to take it in this way if it was just okay to do regardless? That's a serious question that people need to answer. Because seriously, if, if it was permissible for any reason, then this shouldn't have even been a problem. But Timothy had such a mind about this to say, I can't take any. Paul had to tell him, for medicinal purposes, yes, you can. Take care of yourself. And there's all kinds of things that we could say about the use of, of alcohol in, in, in ancient times. It was used as an antiseptic. It was used to kill germs. In fact, it was used uh, for, uh, especially for, uh, for, uh, for sanitation purposes. But all of that being said, I will just add... Uh, a, lot of, a lot of times the argument is made to try and justify recreational drinking. They say, well, there was not one drink that did not have alcohol in it. And I'll just say that's false. That's false. They did have ways, and there's a brother named Kyle Pope. Uh, he's written a few commentaries, but there is a brother named Kyle Pope who has actually done the research and he's done the experiment. And using ancient techniques, he was able to, for a year, keep uh, uh, wine from uh, fermenting and becoming alcoholic. And so, again, we don't have enough time to get into all of that, but it is just to show that it was possible. That doesn't mean every single drink was non-alcoholic, but when it was alcoholic, it was for antiseptic purposes. It was for sanitation purposes. And so just understand that. It was used in the same way that we use medicines today. It was used in the same way you, we use sanitation tools today. So just understand that. That is why, uh, why it was used, particularly by God's people, and when it was used beyond that, what we find time and time again, look at the Proverbs and look at all of the sinful activities of the nations around Israel and all the things that God condemns. Clearly, he condemned that kind of behavior that comes with that recreational drinking. So I think that that's a really good point to make, and I think it's a good point that needs to be refuted uh, scripturally. And so I think that this is one passage that we can go to to make that case. But another thing is that, especially even connected with this point of I think that it is absolutely should be considered a drug, it prevents sobriety. And we know what sober means. It's, it, and this is something that's commanded for all of us, by the way, having sobriety. But when it means to be sober, it means to be clean from those things. It means to be purged of those things. Uh, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy, just a couple pages over. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse, uh, or 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. What does he say to be sober in? In verse 5 it says, But you be sober in some things. Or you be sober in a few things. He says, you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You be sober in all things. Uh, and, and I think that <laughs> it's interesting that when people start asking questions about, well, and, and we're going to talk about this more, but, you know, you, you can still be sober and dabble in these things. We're going to really push against that. But I, I just think logically you, no one can really say that with a straight face. But sobriety is supposed to be across the board. In all things be sober. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 13, beginning a couple verses here, but in verse 13, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace, uh, uh, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Turning over to chapter 4 in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And then you go over just another chapter uh, in chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so uh, maybe we read some of these passages where it talks about sobriety being a commandment. And someone may look at especially in 1 Peter, look at these things that he says and say, but it says in spirit. 
How can you be sober in spirit if you're not sober in body and mind? Honestly. I mean, seriously, there's such a disconnect here. And I would say, let me just pause. Often, I think very poor arguments like this are made. And it's inconsistent with the hermeneutical practice that we have for all of the rest of Scripture. What I mean by hermeneutics is it's a different rule that we have for interpreting Scripture. The way we started, everything that we do, it must be that we are speaking as the oracles of God. That we speak when God speaks and we are silent when God is silent. And we don't come to the Scriptures and say, but the Bible never said not to. That's a dishonest way to approach scripture. And I think anybody, I think everybody here agrees with that. And so we're not going to approach even, even this conversation in that same way. And, and we're not going to make poor arguments like this. When he says be sober in spirit, yes, I think there is probably a, a stronger context of you need to be especially focused on the spiritual warfare. But if you, I think it's the same thing that the Pharisees did. They try to say, okay, I'm, I'm spiritually sober, but physically I could be as, you know, I could go as far as I want. That's, that's a pharisaical way of, of, of interpreting scripture. And so let's not be, uh, let, let's push people when they, when they do make those kind of arguments. Because that's just, that's dishonest and that's not fair. But turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Once more speaking about how we are to be sober. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 6 beginning. It says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Isn't it interesting that sobriety is literally contrasted with nothing but drunkenness? Uh, so I have to say, looking at all these New Testament passages, and you know, I, I got to say, I think this is a very strong case. And I have a hard time when people come to all of this and say, okay, but the Bible never says. Again, let's be honest about how we approach Scripture. Um, now, alcohol obviously, like other drugs, prevents sobriety. Now, someone may hear all of this and they may still have arguments in their mind. They may say something like, okay, but you can drink and not get drunk. This, this, is, this is something that I think is rather interesting. I'm, I, even here, I don't think that this is a fair argument. Uh, does this even make logical sense? When you're in a job interview and someone asks you, are you sober? Do you think that they mean, are you sober right at this moment, but as soon as you go home, you're going to take, you know, heroin? Or right at this moment, you're sober, but then you're going to go home and then you're going to take, you know, whatever pills you have at the house. No, they mean, are you sober? Are you clean? Or do you have an addiction of some sort? They mean, are you sober, that you don't dabble in it, that you are completely clean from it. That's, that's what they mean. And it's for some reason, we have a better understanding of how people communicate when it comes to those kind of interactions. But when people come to the Bible, they say, but, but, but God doesn't communicate that way. He communicates with us with human language. Where did we get our communication? From him. And the way that we authorize things, the way we interpret things, we get it from his logic. All right? So, so <laughs> come on. This is, this is such an unfair and dishonest question. You can drink and not get drunk. I mean, how do you even, how do you even measure that kind of idea? Can you really say you're sober if you've been drinking any amount? Now, let me just say, I don't think that NyQuil is something that, that Christians have to stay away from. Because, again, that's medicinal. I mean, if you're abusing it, that would be another thing. It would be weird that someone would be abusing that, but that, that is another thing. But it's, it's, it's medicinal. We can use it for those purposes. But it's interesting that when you look at things like NyQuil, even with the little tiny amount of alcohol that it has in it, what does it say in the warning section? That you're not to drive uh, heavy machinery? That you're not supposed to be operating heavy machinery? 
I, I mean, I got to tell you, something as small as that, and yet they're putting a warning saying, but don't, make sure you're careful about this. There's a reason for that. And I think the best way, obviously, to maintain or achieve sobriety is abstinence. I mean, it's, it's, it's the only way. Um, and, and so, logically, I don't think that that's a very sound argument. And, and when you just think about what is drunk, I know that people go back and forth about what this actually means. And again, we could look at charts about what the government says is the, the, the legal point of you cannot drive at, at this specific point. My question is, if they're right below it, do you still want them to get in the car? But, you know, beyond that, I want to look at the definition of drunk. And we'll look at, again, just a simple Google search. But uh, one of the first things that I found, and I, I, I kind of like this, uh, when we are trying to define drunk, past participle of drink. I, I kind of like that because it's utterly unhelpful, but there you go. I, I will say that that's a bit of a joke, but even from this standpoint, there's still something to take from this. If someone has, if someone has you know, in the past drunk something, they... They have drunk something, and so it's not that they're just completely sober. But going beyond that, seriously, the other two definitions that you'll find when you just do simple Google searches, affected by alcohol to the extent of losing control of one's faculties or behavior, and a person who is drunk or who habitually drinks to excess. And again, I just, I absolutely love it when the dictionary just says, you know, define drunk, a person who is drunk. That's, thank you for that. That's Google for you. Anyway. When looking at these kind of definitions, and you see how the world kind of talks about this, even from this standpoint, we often act like drunk is just complete incapacitation or, or someone being completely passed out. But that's very clearly not the case because you still have a level of, of intoxication where people say you're not allowed to go out, where people say you are not allowed to act like this in the, in the uh, public population. There's still a level before passing out and, 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 and you know, being completely blacked out on the floor, where they say you cannot drink and drive. And so, seriously, what is drunk? Because someone could very well say, I'm not drunk, even though they're not allowed to drive, because I haven't passed out. Again, I don't think that that's fair. And by the way, when police officers pull people over with that kind of suspicion, what do they usually ask? They don't, I mean, what we usually hear is not, are you drunk? What they usually ask you is, have you been drinking? Interesting. Very interesting. And so uh, all, all of these things, I think, really lends itself to a logic, just a logical understanding of this is clearly not sober. This is not sobriety. Of course, there are degrees of drunkenness, and the Bible talks about those. I, I promise you they do. In fact, we're going to get into that more in just a moment. But, but when you think about that, of course, there are degrees of drunk, but de a degree of drunk is still drunk. Understand that. That even if you're a lower degree of drunk, you're still drunk. And so uh, I, I think that that's something that needs to be uh, at the very least answered when it comes to this conversation. But finally, I want to get to those degrees that we were just mentioning. It is condemned in degrees. And I want to do, uh, make this point using one passage in particular in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 3. So when I say it's condemned in degrees, I mean from blackout drunk to just, just a tiny buzz. But in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And you may just stay there because we're going to be looking at uh, a couple other verses in just a moment. But, but these three words that I have uh, highlighted here, drunkenness, 
carousing, and drinking parties. They each have to do with recreational uses of alcohol. Now, if I can prove this to you, then what this means is that not ju- it's not just the worst cases of recreational alcohol use that is condemned, but even minor ones, you know, minor ones as we, as we might think. So let's look at this. Obviously, we're not going to spend much time with, with this word drunkenness. I don't think anybody would even, <laughs> I don't think anybody would have a problem with us kind of even skipping over this. It's very clear. This is a level of drunkenness that should not be, uh, that should not be a part of a Christian's life. What it means is an overflow, a surplus, a great excess of alcohol. In fact, we won't look at all these passages, but in 1 Peter chapter uh, 4, in verse 4, right after the verse we just read, It says, in all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so as he's talking about how they're going to make fun of you, and they're going to be bewildered by the fact that you're not joining in them in these kinds of things, I like how he says that that they'll be surprised when you don't join them in the same excesses of dissipation. And in fact, this word uh, dissipation is constantly connected to drunkenness. Uh, it's, it's the notion of great excess. It's the notion of drinking so much that you make yourself sick. Uh, and so you could go to these other passages. We're not going to go there, but that's just maybe so you can write it down in your notes. But this is pretty clear. That's, that's drunkenness. That obviously has to do with drinking alcohol in a sinful way. Now, this word carousing, this is a very interesting word as well. Because when you look at the Greek word, it does mean half-drunken party. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, it, it, doesn't just, it doesn't just mean that you're drunk, you're just smashed and passed out on the floor, but it does mean that they're on their way. This is the, the same kind of idea of people going out and clubbing, or the same idea of people to, going out to drink with the boys or having a quick drink with the girls. I mean, that, that is this notion. That you're going out to drink alcohol in a recreational way, and, and it is it is a half-drunken party. But they're not completely passed out. They don't, it's not like all of their senses are completely gone, but they still are in that same environment, and they're getting there. And, and I, I, I forget how the Bible talks about how we're supposed to deal with temptation and how we're supposed to associate with sin. Does it say dabble, or does it say flee? But I even think it's stronger than that. It's, this isn't just a, a flea matter. It is a flea matter, but this is very clearly connected to, to, to recreational drinking of alcohol. But, and, and I'll make the point even more because we see it in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. But this same New Testament word, the three times it's used in the New Testament, every single time is right with drunkenness. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and verse 13. Romans 13 and verse 13. It says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, connected, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. He keeps saying, not this and this. And each time he does that, it's, it's two different words that have to do with one another. And what he does that with is carousing and drunkenness. And so, I think very strong evidence. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 21, as it's speaking about, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, it also talks about the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says uh, towards the end of this list, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And let me just say, I think people are really, are really trying to tempt fate when they look at passages like this in Galatians chapter 5 where it says, and things like these that are going to keep you out of the kingdom of God. 
We are tempting fate when we say, okay, but it doesn't actually say the words exactly, but thou shalt not do, you, uh, use alcohol in a recreational way. You know, there, there's a, there was a, I can't remember his name, but it was a Muslim apologist, and he was going around, and people would come up and ask him questions about the deity of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he, he obviously doesn't believe that Jesus was God and the Son of God, but as he's talking about this and trying to argue it, he says, you give me the passage where Jesus uses these words exactly, I am God. I am, and, and, you know, and people try to argue that kind of logic because it's a logical fallacy. And, and we can go to several passages that prove Jesus is God. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Very clear. But he says, if it's not put in this exact way, I'm not going to believe it. And I think that's what people are doing when it comes to this sin. And so I, we need to be so careful that we're not doing the same kind of things that, that uh, those kind of individuals are doing. Now, this last uh, word here that I want to focus on, drinking parties. I think the New American Standard Version or Bible puts this or translate this word appropriately and correctly. Uh, really, when you look at the word, the root word, this Greek word means to drink. And I'm going to show you that, uh, what this word means through uh, several, I would say, reputable lexicons and translators. And, and just, just look at each of these. When it talks about this word and it's trying to uh, uh, translate this word and, and help us understand what this word means, I think it very appropriate, appropriately is translated drinking party in the New American Standard. It says a social gathering at which wine was served. Now, is that a... Is that a half-drunken party? It could be. Is that someone who's in the presence of another person who's just getting blackout drunk? It could be, but it also is the people who's just, it, it doesn't have to just be out clubbing, and it doesn't have to be people that are just out to, to you know, get completely blackout drunk. It just is the social and moderate drinking. It's the beer at dinner. It's the wine before bed, or the wine in the bathtub. It's a drinking party. It's, it is... A social gathering at which wine was served. Drinking, derived from the Greek word to drink. It lit, Vine would say it literally is a drinking. Trench would say it's not of necessity excessive, but giving opportunity for excess. Let me ask you, is it giving opportunity for excess when you're taking just that nightly drink at you know where no one else can see you? It is giving the opportunity, isn't it? And so I, when you look at these words and when we're being fair at, uh, about how we come to the Bible and interpret the scriptures, I think we can very clearly see that the burden of proof lies not on the one who says that recreational use of alcohol is a sin. The burden of proof lies on the person who says that it is not. So I want to hear those arguments. That, that, that's what I want refuted. And in, in fact, I want you to, if you have any questions about this, I would love for you to come to me, and I would love to talk to you about these things. I mean, that, that is the goal here. I, I, I took a long time getting this lesson together, but at this point, I feel like if someone asked me a question, I have enough material put together, I could very uh, quickly come up with an answer. And so I, I apologize to, to the one who asked me about that for taking <laughs> literally months to, to get this together. But... I, I would I encourage you to come and ask me questions about this because I want that and I want to try and uh, help understand what the scriptures actually teach about this and let me just say the last application I want to make just from this word I don't think that this is just the person who is drinking alcohol recreationally I also think it's the person who decides that they want to associate at this social gathering at which wine is served 
I'm not saying that if you go to Texas Roadhouse that you are immediately to be condemned because they do serve alcohol in other places. But what I am saying is if you're going to, if, if you have a, a, a friend who really wants to, you to come over to a party and you know that there is going to be drinking involved, you know that there's going to be all kinds of alcohol involved, I tell you, I, I worry about that person when it comes to this verse. Because guess what? They are participating in a social gathering at which wine is served for the sole purpose of drinking. That concerns me. And so don't, don't think that this is, you know, the, the, the most minute application is that it's just the nightly wine. I, I mean, I think it is participation. And so we need to be careful about how we approach the scriptures. What this proves is that it is not just the worst cases of drunkenness that is sin, but also the degrees of drunkenness from partying and having a good time to just that nightly glass of wine. Recreational use of alcohol outside of medicinal scriptural reasons and purposes is sinful. And we need to defend the scriptures in that way. We need to fortify our minds in that way with the scriptures. So that way, when we're asked these questions, we can give an answer. We can make a defense for the hope that is in us. And we won't be led astray. I tell you, I wish that we could talk about so much more because we haven't even gotten to be able to talk about the people who are struggling with this. And the statistics would suggest that there are people, probably even in this building, that do struggle with it secretly. And that's something that needs to be talked about, and we'll talk about that another time, because it is a sin that will grab us, and it will pull us down, and it makes us isolate ourselves, and it keeps us from seeking the help and support of the brethren. If you are one of those people, I would say, please don't, please don't stay in secrecy. Please don't try to hide this sin in the shadows. Please let your brethren help you. The scriptures have given you a way out and God has given you a family and a house that you can come to and get assistance from and help from that they can help you bear this burden. And so if you struggle with that, I, I beg of you, don't leave this building without, without getting help from those who want you to be delivered from that kind of sin and that kind of temptation. Now, when it comes to alcohol, I think that is a very extreme case of the worst that temptation has to offer, of, of how, just how enticing temptation can be. But it's not just alcohol. It's, it's all kinds of sin. It depends on who you are. There's all kinds of different things that tempt people for different reasons. And it could be that it's not alcohol. It could be something else that is keeping you from a relationship with God. If you're a Christian, please, just like we were just saying about the one who, who needs to let go of, of this sin, let go of whatever's keeping you from that relationship. Do what God tells you to do. Take his counsel so that you can be freed and liberated. And I'll tell you, just thinking about alcohol, that is what people, that's how people talk when they have been freed from that addiction. That it is liberating and they have been freed and they've never felt better. I tell you what, there is no greater joy than being liberated from the temptation, the, the burden and the bondage of sin. And Christ can free you from it. If you're not a Christian and you wish to be freed from that sin, you wish to be given that spiritual exodus, he's given you the path. Are you willing to hear, even on difficult topics like this, are you willing to be faithful in those things and act on them? Repent of the things he says you cannot be a part of, you can't participate in, you can't associate with, and make a confession based on that belief, be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life and live a resurrected, liberated life. You can have that freedom this very night. If you are subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.